0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure.
1: It's the perspective you go in with which which almost sets, sets the tone for how you do and how you perceive it.
0: Today I'm talking to Aaron Kutan, who is an engineer at Magnox Limited and a member of the Next Generation Nuclear Industry Council, and also the COP26 lead for the UK Nuclear Institute Young Generation Network. Aaron lives in Bristol with a few housemates. Welcome, Aaron. It's great to see you. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks very much for having me.
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it seems that you've just packed in so much into your life so far we're going to try and cover it as best we can but it's going to be a great story i'm sure so let's start off with you grew up in hounslow and you went to herschel grammar school what were you like at school
1: yeah it's um it's quite funny because i used to be quite chubby actually i was the chubby quiet kid at school and yeah just always kind of kept my head down didn't really take notice had a few friends had a few really good friends and um yeah I just didn't really make much much noise about myself and it was really after um sixth form i mean i was always quite yeah hard working as much as i could be um but up until that point in my life i'd i'd normally been quite high in the class and then when i got to grammar school i was not so high in the class and that was it was a bit of a like oh wait there's there's a world outside of what what i'm used to so it's quite a big learning opportunity really um but yeah, I kind of kept my head head down and and yeah did academically relatively well I think um, and then went on to choose my A levels and
0: yeah so t- so tell us about your, your your GCSEs so so you're there at school and you're working hard and presumably you did okay in all your GCSEs did you but were there ones that particularly resonated with you that you enjoyed more than others and and why was that do you think?
1: Well, I, I really liked all the sciences and I'd kind of been pushed to pursue that as early as I could. Um, but I, yeah, I think a lot of my friends were quite into music. So I took a music GCSE. Um, I play this Indian instrument called the Doll, which is a big drum. It's like a cylindrical drum with like a bass and treble on either, either side. And um, it's played at like festivals and weddings and stuff. And me and my friends would would create some fusion type pieces. So actually sticks with me the most from my GCSEs it was not really the academic side as much as I enjoyed it it was those memories I'd made with friends playing music
0: so you did your GCSEs and then you focused as you said you focused on maths on chemistry and biology and how did you find that sort of transition from GCSEs to A level did you find it an easy transition or it was interesting actually because I didn't find A
1: levels that well, they were they were challenging for sure, but it was something one of my teachers said at the end of GCSEs, and they literally, they literally said A levels will be the hardest thing you ever do in your life, and I was like, whoa, that's a big statement to make. Um, so, and I really went in with that mindset. I was like, this is going to be really hard, and it it kind of sets that expectation. And then when I did them, I was like, almost expecting them to be way worse than they were. So. I think it kind of just set the tone for them actually not being too bad. Um, but it kind of taught me that it's the perspective you go in with which which almost sets sets the tone for how you do and how you perceive it.
0: So you you you're you're doing your A levels, you're in your sort of you've done your AS levels, you're going into A levels, now you're thinking about what am I gonna do next? What were you thinking about? So
1: coming from um a family of like Indian heritage, my my dad was quite um Leading me on the, on the, on a the medical route, and he he was quite um, I won't say adamant, but definitely was was asking me to to consider going into being a doctor and medicine. And at first, actually, I pushed back quite a lot. And I'd, I'd done the subjects, but I, I genuinely did love like biology, chemistry, and maths, um, and especially like human body stuff. I did find fascinating. Um, but originally, I kind of pushed back more of a more as like a rebellion more than anything but then as, I, as time went on I kind of thought about it a little bit more and I was like yeah medicine actually does sound quite interesting it, it maybe maybe I could do it actually and I thought about it a little bit more and yeah eventually ended up applying for it and I was really keen I had a couple of interviews but unfortunately I didn't get in in the first year and by that time I'd gotten my A-level results and thought a lot about what the next steps were and whether I should reapply because that's it's quite common in, in that field there's limited spots you have limited UCAS bases for medicine because it's so competitive and yeah I decided to take a gap year um and reapply for medicine
0: and- right so it's, it's just it's, it just describe that moment when you realized you you know you hadn't been offered a place how did you feel and how did you cope with those feelings because it's quite a big thing isn't it you know at that stage particularly yeah, it was quite um it was
1: quite upsetting I think at the time and and it was like quite daunting as well especially I'd been through these ups and downs of thinking I was a good student and then thinking I wasn't a good student and then it kind of really made me question my self-worth and like what I actually knew and if I was as intelligent as I thought I was um so yeah, I definitely had that self-doubt quite a lot and um it was only after I, because the way the application process works from what I remember is you apply quite early in the year, then you kind of get your, especially for medicine, then you get your um, kind of acceptance letters by January or February, or maybe even May, but then you go and get your results in August. And I actually ended up doing really well in my A-levels in the end, and I remember trying to get through into medicine and clearing, which was like a long shot, but yeah, it definitely made me question myself quite a lot and um, yeah, it was, yeah
0: it, was, it was a challenging yeah, time. Because how you react to those sort of moments I always think looking back on those moments you often learn more about yourself than you would if everything had gone smoothly you know. So you did take that that gap year and, and during that time you were uh, a sort of healthcare uh, assistant I think is that right?
1: Yeah yeah that's right and um, I, I was really keen on getting as much experience so I did decide to reapply Um, But as my fifth choice, uh, the extra choice, which we weren't allowed to apply to medicine, I thought, okay, engineering kind of sounds good. It's completely different. So I applied for uh, chemical engineering. I think, to be honest, at that time, it was, I didn't really know much about I loved chemistry and you don't really know what, much about what university entails. And I was like, chem, I like chemistry. That sounds like chemical engineering. Turns out chemical engineering has very little to do with chemistry. So that, that was also a surprise. Um, but yeah, no, I, I got some experience working as a healthcare assistant. And I mean, I mentioned I was quite shy all up until this time. I was quite the quiet kid. So actually having to engage with patients one-on-one was a massive like undertaking for me is usually outside of my comfort zone um talking to patients about their issues and actually doing like minor ops and working with um some doctors like i ent ear nose and throat doctors so yeah i mean it gave me a, a real good kind of scope and good experiences that are completely not related to what i'm doing now
0: so yeah it definitely gave me some diversity absolutely but you know when you think about it interacting with other people you pretty much have to do that in any job you do. And so to gain those skills and learning how to engage with people and talk and make them feel comfortable and stuff it's a fantastic way to spend a year, actually, even if you don't use the technical part of what you were doing. Those interpersonal skills are so important in, in, in work and business and everything. So it's time well spent, I'd say. So what you ended up doing was you went to UCL University College London and you did do chemical engineering how did you feel because you will have now you're in london uh, at a big university with lots of other people what was it like i was a bit um
1: i wasn't sure what to make of it but i quite quickly put what had happened behind me and i thought i didn't get into medicine and that's fine actually and there's probably a reason for that that i, I don't necessarily know um, and maybe i don't need to know but i was quite Quite quickly was able to just shift onto like the forward-looking and I, I'd always kind of been a bit of an environmentalist and I wanted to help change things which is maybe why I wanted to get into medicine um help people and, and all that kind of stuff but and then I saw those opportunities with engineering as well as like even though it's a completely different field you can still make those changes in the world with what you learn so I think I used that actually as a, as a springboard to, to take as many opportunities as I could um UCL is a very international university, so met a lot of different um, students from all over the world, from Malaysia, South India, China. So, yeah, again, I think just learning about different cultures and, and building experience with, yeah, how to communicate with different types of people helped helped well, on top of everything I actually learned in, in the lectures. Well,
0: exactly. And how did you find that? Because I don't know whether you knew anybody before you went to UCL, or whether you were very much on your own, but building those new relationships again—that's sort of in at the deep end, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think university students aren't given as much credit as maybe they should for like all the change they have to go through in like quite short periods of time. Um, so yeah, that that was it was quite eye-opening. But I think I coped by just being open to opportunities and. Yeah, if there was something going on, I'd try and get involved or talk to people about it. And yeah, I really developed my
0: just ability to, to talk to people because I wasn't very good at that before university. Oh, that's fantastic. And how did you cope with the sort of work side of things? Because that is a step up from A-levels, isn't it? I mean, A-levels is a step up from GCSEs and you you kind of assumed the worst and and it was better than you thought what was the move to university like
1: (laughs) (laughs) well there was nobody at the end of a levels to say actually university is going to be the hardest bit of your life because that's that would have been more accurate because um it was intense there was there was a couple of years in there that like nights in the library and yeah it was it was it was quite challenging um and that i think again like at the time it seemed so difficult because nobody had prepped me for it almost and nobody had prepared me for that challenge that lied ahead um, and I'd thought I'd just done the hardest thing in my life at A, A level so again it's that it's that perspective thing but yeah you, you managed to get through it and I look back now and that was quite character shaping because it just I guess it increases your level and ability to, to handle stress and work at whatever it yeah. you need
0: to Yes, and resilience and the, the challenge of time scales and exams and everything like that. So wh- how do you think you did change during that time in London?
1: Um, I lost a bit of weight. So physically, I changed from, from my chubby days. Um, I focused a bit, a bit on health. Um, but yeah, obviously, did all the, the classic university partying as much as I could. I think I just appreciated other people a bit more. I think it's quite easy to get wrapped up in your own world. And yeah, I can't remember the word for it, but there is this like moment of realization where you, you recognize that there's a world out there that's more than just yourself or like your own perceptions. And I think I really had that during university. You hear all the stories, you take time to spend, spend time with people that aren't within your immediate circle of family. Um, so yeah, I just really took that that time. And I think it did help me just develop a greater understanding of the world and, and, and people in it.
0: Now, one of the other things you did at university, which really interested me is that you, you seem to have um, maintained some sort of part-time work as well. So, so you, you continued your healthcare assistance a bit. You were a sales assistant for a bit. You worked for Marks and Spencer's for a bit. What was the motivation for, for that on top of all of this, work you had to do and this social life you had to do
1: i i think back and i can't really remember if there was a significant motivation i think it's just maybe the way i was brought up my my parents kind of migrated to the uk in the 70s and they, they had this incredibly hard work ethic to kind of provide and came from like extreme poverty and in india and i think that really drove like hearing the stories that my dad would tell me that they barely had a roof over their head and just kind of maybe drove me to do, to work, like try to live up to that as much as I could and not ask them for money where I where I needed to and, and try and provide for myself. And yeah, I think just seeing that kind of maybe catalyze some parts of, of what I did. Um and then also, yeah, extra money for weekends out it was always helpful, so.
0: <laughs> it never hurts, does it? But I, that's really interesting because it says something about you as well and your values, you know, and the values that your parents put into you of that, that hard work ethic, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, but then the next thing, uh, you know, there, there was this exchange program from UCL out to America. So you were in Troy, upstate New York, uh, for a year. Tell us about how, how did that come about and why did you put yourself forward for that?
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know if I've always just been super curious about people and other other places in the world, but yeah, we had this opportunity come up about studying abroad and we, we could apply for, there was a number of universities, so one was in Melbourne in Australia and yeah, one there was a few across America and I'd applied for this, well I'd applied for a couple and, and got this one and yeah I was just excited to to see how other people did it um there's we we we'd been at ucl for 3 years at this point and i thought yeah this is the only university experience i've had how else is it done internationally or even in other universities and when i went along it was so different first of all i guess just american universities there's like frat frat houses and sorority houses and you see all that stuff that you see in the movies is kind of there but it was quite an engineering university so it was it was a bit nerdy and it wasn't as much so it was a quite a nice balance in a way I quite liked it but the teaching was completely different. Um, UCL I mentioned was quite an international whereas in the US all of this all of the teachers were like born and brought up in the US and they had their specific way of well, like the majority of them anyway Um and they had their specific way of teaching and yeah it was really good and I, th- I think it just again, yeah, broadened my horizons a bit. And th- one one interesting part, actually, we was I was looking at um, modelling of a three of a it was the Harbour Bosch process in a reactor, chemical reactor. And I think this is something maybe we don't have as much in the UK. But there was a facility quite close to the university that was paying the university to model this stuff for them, and they had the actual reactor. So I actually went across and we had a look at it and we were like they, they were showing me the patents they had done and the pieces in the in the reactor and it, it was it was quite cool and and i just never had that in the uk and i'm sure there are a handful of universities that do stuff like that but it's just very ingrained in the and us it, it's
0: so it. powerful when you actually you know cuz you get the theory don't you about and you see you know yeah. diagrams or schematics of what's going on in the design i guess and engineering drawings and all that sort of stuff But to actually go and see a facility, Mm. if people get the chance to go and see something, you know, real at scale, it really opens your eyes, doesn't it? Definitely.
1: Yeah, I would recommend like go out and see as much as many real things, even in nuclear. I guess it's very difficult to get out and see a nuclear reactor, but it it does make a big difference. Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm, absolutely. That's right. So you said the teaching was different. In what way was the teaching different there? Um,
1: it was definitely a lot more interactive. They had teaching assistants. Um, I think we had them in the UK as well, but they they, they were a lot more engaged. Um, I remember one situation in a, in a lecture where the professor had asked a question. Somebody answered, and he's like, "Great, you get an A." And that was the that was that person's A for the whole, which is like a distinction, essentially seventy percent plus for the whole semester or the whole term. And they didn't they didn't have to do anything else. So just kind of in Encouraged other people to if you actually engage and you like switched on and I don't know it was it was a very different way and I, I quite liked it but I don't know if it would work for everyone or yeah
0: no but it's a different culture isn't it as you say and it's a different approach and actually that sort of approach where you effectively you're rewarding participation and people thinking for themselves is part of I guess. What university is about, you know, it's, it's more than just learning it from a book and regurgitating in an exam, isn't it? It's about actual practical understanding of what you're doing and what's the impact of, you know, these designs on actual, you know, engineering plant and so on, so. And while you are out there, I see you were involved in this Engineers for a Sustainable World, and, and you actually did, did this technical design project building solar power hot water system in a village in Mexico. So not only have you gone to university in, in the US, but you're also doing something in Mexico as well during that time.
1: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I didn't get to go to Mexico. Um, there was only a handful that did, but we we designed a lot of the stuff that went out. And yeah, it was, again, I was just volunteering. We just spent a couple of hours a week. Um, I think I was just driven by, I don't know, I was like, we're let's just get some solar panels and and help people out with that don't have electricity. Like, and I think GE or like a, some company had donated some solar panels and we looked at how we could change the piping or help help this small group of people in this village. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. We kind of got to video chat to a few people out there and yeah, unfortunately it didn't make it out but I think a few others did and they they continue to go out and as well as like provide the parts, they they kind of pass the skills on so they can sustain their own villages themselves. and. If there are leaks in the pipe, they can kind of correct it themselves. So it's a bit of that skill sharing, which I thought was really important.
0: Oh, that's really good. And it really makes a difference for other people, doesn't it? So you came to the end of that and you then went on. I want to ask the why question. So you you came back to London to Imperial College to do the master's in nuclear fuel cycle there. And that then did involve a bit more traveling, which we'll come on to. But why did you... Want to come back to the UK and to London, and why nuclear? I think I I,
1: I never saw myself leaving the UK forever. I, I had a lot of family and friends here that I wanted to stay at least relatively near to. And um, I think it was a module we did um, in in upstate New York on nuclear and energy in general. And as soon as I saw it, I was just fascinated by it. I was like, why aren't we doing this? Like, what what's going on? This sounds like I don't know the holy grail and it's amazing like um and I, unfortunately so that was my final year of of my chem eng degree and I didn't have anything lined up um job wise but I was just fascinated by it by nuclear um so I decided to go on to do this master's in nuclear engineering and I, I was actually attracted by fusion originally I thought fusion was going to be this yeah amazing thing and after the first week of the course we did, I was like, Fission actually does a lot of the stuff that we think fission, fusion needs to do. Um, and then since then, I've just been fascinating, fascinated by, um, yeah, nu- nuclear energy and, and especially Fission. And, yeah, I managed to get myself onto the nuclear graduates program from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But before you did that, you, you went out to Australia. To I did,
1: yeah. And I think there's something to say here about keeping an eye on what opportunities come because... We'd always get emails about various bits and pieces going on, but there was this one about we'd been forwarded from the nuclear innovation boot camp, um, and then also my my research project um, at Ansto. So, yeah, we we had the option to kind of apply, and we had to sh- say why and what experience we had that would make it relevant. So, my like process design experience, and and with that chemical reactor, like set me up quite well for for Ansto. Um, so yeah, I managed to go out there and spend spend three or four months designing uh, something for their waste effluent plant uh, called Synrock, so synthetic rock, which kind of in, encapsulates high-level wastes and and various other wastes as well. Um, but then, yeah, while I was there, I actually had this email for this nuclear innovation boot camp, and that was in University of California, Bar- Berkeley. So while I was doing my three... and and. I was, it sounded amazing, and I, I put an application together. So while I was doing my research project abroad in Australia, I got accepted to this two-week innovation boot camp in California. So while on my excursion to Australia, I did another <laughs> excursion to, to California for two weeks, which, yeah, again, was such a good experience. Oh,
0: that's fantastic. it's fantastic. It's just brilliant, you know, all of these opportunities you're kind of grasping them, aren't you? And you're keeping your eye open for them by the sound of things.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's so easy to kind of, I remember thinking like I'm feeling quite overwhelmed by it all, because as well as like the physical toll of traveling, it, there is like just keeping an eye on everything that's going on. Um, but I, th- I feel like I genuinely had a passion for for seeing how I could interact with people that were doing similar things and, and like build on what they're doing and, and try and push the industry forward. It's funny I think from really early on I was like how can we revolute like I wanted to within a year change the whole nuclear industry by myself or like change the whole energy kind of field and and get onto clean energy and it I I think back now and it, it seems very naive and like idealistic um, that I wanted to do that and but but it put me in, in a in a good place because I started learning how you might one day potentially do that and and just learning about what the issues are in in the industries and yeah, learning as much about it as
0: possible. I think it's so important, actually, because it's such a motivation, this climate change and clean energy and everything, to have people like you who are absolutely passionate about passionate about that sort of thing and therefore working in the nuclear sector because you see that as part of the solution. Um, you know, that driver is so important. We need people like you because, you know, you will help change things, you know, by 2050. You think about your career will unfold over the next 30 years or something and you will be the ones delivering net zero. You know, so it's fantastic that you're in a place now where you can learn to have that sort of influence. It's fantastic. And so um, you did come back to the UK again and you joined the NDA Nuclear Graduate Program. Um, How did you find that? That that was, uh, what, two years with four... Different sort of succumbents, I guess, during it. So you're getting experience at West Lakes with NDA. You're getting experience in Sellerfield with moltex Energy in London, and also EDF Energy. So you get to kind of see the front end, the back end, and the future, don't you? In all of that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I was really fascinated by plutonium at the time, and um, all those kind of yeah exotic elements that that Sellerfield and various other sort of places in that area kind of deal with. Um, so. Yeah I, and and so I I really wanted to go to Moltex because I thought here here's, here's our chance here's how we could like save the world from from our energy woes and all that kind of thing and yeah and I and I went there and it was really good and I I got that back end experience I got this yeah future concept design experience but I realized that it's not as easy as I would originally thought it would be to kind of yeah let's build a reactor tomorrow that will that will burn our waste and get 10 of them online. This there's, there's so many intertwined issues. So nuclear grads was a bit of a reality check for me, which I think I needed. Um, because up until that point it'd been quite academic and theoretical. And here I was now working in the real world and, and understanding the challenges. So it was a bit daunting, but I think I kind of took it as well as I could and and yeah, I try I mean I'd always have like down days and and think, well, this isn't going to work out. It's not what I thought it was. And and whatever but yeah you kind of just keep working keep your head down and and manage to make it through and with a lot of experience and a lot of good friends out of it so yeah, it was it was a really good experience and it yeah as you said gave me quite a good overview of, of the entire life cycle of, of nuclear in some ways
0: and, and and i think sometimes we all feel like that we'd love to change things much more quickly but it's not easy and I sort of use this phrase a little bit about a relentless nudge in the right direction. In other words, we know where we want to get to. We can't get there tomorrow, but we can all be pulling in the same direction and making small steps and sustain, you know, and slowly build momentum in the right direction. But there's a lot of people and a lot of organizations and a big future out there.
1: I think that's um, something else I learned on the grad scheme when I was at Sellafield, which I think applies both to professional and personal development is the idea of like Kaizen. So the incremental improvement. Um, So yeah, you kind of keep pushing, I guess, as an industry and and we know it's right, like as a solution to climate change, nuclear. But then also internally, I've, I've always tried to adopt that, like just be slightly better than yesterday or last week. And it's those small incremental improvements that really do compound over time.
0: You're absolutely right. And I, and I think the other the other aspect with that is so important, but it's so important to have people like you who can see those improvements, however small they might seem at the time, but actually make a difference, you know, because that is what's going to move, move things forward.
1: Yeah. And, and a, a really basic example is I used to hate presenting. Um <laughs> And and I just kind of did a few lunchtime lectures here and there and, and just put myself out of my comfort zone. And I was presenting, to, presenting at the NDA PhD seminar a couple of years ago in front of 50 academics and industry people. And, yeah, it was really great. And I feel like something I never thought I would be good at doing. And now I feel like just through practice and perseverance and every single time think of a little thing on how to improve, you, you
0: really do begin to get there. So um, you finished your uh, uh, your graduate programme and you're now uh, with Magnox and you've been with Magnox uh, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. What? How do you think, when you look at yourself now after two years with Magnox and you look at yourself perhaps uh, when you arrived at university, what do you think is the biggest thing that's changed in you as a person, Aaron? I think
1: I'm a lot more, a lot chattier than I ever was. Um, I think I've just built the confidence over time that like not necessarily that my opinions like are important or like matter but I'm allowed to express them and like I can talk to people about them and I think I that I've, I was always very shy and would always think I was wrong and have that self-doubt and everybody else knew so much more than me that like my I, there's no point me saying anything so I never really did and only over time and especially through nuclear grads you kind of you really get to know people and what they're thinking. And you realize that actually, no, we are kind of equal. I'm, I'm just, I just have the same right to kind of voice my opinions about things. So yeah, I think, I think I really found my voice in a way over those, those few years. Um, and now, yeah, not, not afraid to, not, not afraid to share it. And yeah, but still being respectful and getting course getting yeah. other people involved.
0: That's lovely that, that little phrase, I think I've found my voice. And it's fantastic because you you must be using that because, you know, you're on the Next Generation Nuclear Industry Council. So presumably your voice is being heard in that context, thinking about, you know, the wider UK nuclear future. And that's feeding into the Nuclear Industry Council and can actually have a big impact.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And I think in finding my voice, it made me want to give other people a platform and a voice as well. So I also chair the Magnox Young Persons Network and, the, the first objective we have is to give young people a voice in this in, like in the business where it's a predominantly aging workforce and How do we do that? And especially in the nuclear institute, a lot of it is about how do we give young people a voice in all of this and it, it is our future as much as anybody else's, if not more. Um, and our voices have to be heard and, and our opinions have to be heard. So I think that journey of me finding my voice, I really want to kind of express in what I do and, and yeah how
0: I get people involved. That's fantastic. So I'm going to take you you back to that point where you realized that you hadn't got into medical school the first time and you had this sort of void ahead of you. What am I going to do? And you took a year out. And I'm wondering what would be the advice you'd give yourself at that point in his life?
1: I think continue on. Um, Be confident in in what you do and yeah, don't, don't put yourself down.
0: Very good. That's good advice. Aaron, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you very much.
0: If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.